0: I would like to simply begin by um, reading the scripture. This is going to be Matthew twenty-eight, sixteen through 20. The scripture says, Now the eleven uh, disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Eugene Peterson captures verses 18 and 19 in the message in a way that I wanted to read as well. He says, God authorized and commanded me to commission you Jesus said, go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. So, so what we just read is known as the Great Commission, where Jesus commissions his followers to go out and make disciples. Eugene Peterson brings that into our modern language and translates it that way. Go out and train everyone you meet in this way of life. So the question that we're asking over the next five weeks is what does it mean to make disciples? What does that mean in our, in our modern world? What does it mean to go and train everyone you meet in this way of life? Because discipleship is not a class. Discipleship is not a program that you can complete. It's a lifelong journey in Christ-likeness. Discipleship is a daily invitation into this way of life. Christ's command to make disciples is rich. Jesus is essentially saying, as you go about your life, as you go about what you do, as you go about being a mother, as you go about being a banker, as you go about your life, invite and train others into this way of life this higher plane of existence so that's the next five weeks what is this way of life i would say the great commission has fundamentally two parts there's the invitation and the training the invitation is the go and and invite them in and then there's the second piece which goes once you've invited them into this way of life now now train them up show them what this life actually means we spent a month recently talking about biblical community and community groups. As a church, our strategy to reach the world is largely housed in biblical community, whether that's organically through your circle of friends that's been meeting for 20 years or, or organizationally through our community groups that we've started. That's our strategy to, to reach the world. It's the vehicle, we said, that drives us towards the destination, and the destination is always the mission. Know Jesus and make him known. How do we get there? In verse 19, it says, baptizing them. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk a lot more about that next week, but this word, baptizo, this word means immerse them. It, in the sense of what Christ is saying, he's saying include them in the family of believers. Go immerse them in the family of believers. Immersion in water that we do up here is a symbol of that immersion into community life, right? When we baptize someone and we immerse them in water and bring them out, that's a symbol of their commitment to joining the family of Christ. And so what Jesus tells them is go and immerse people in this family of Christians. So our job as we're living out life is to work to include people in the family. This is not unnatural recruiting, but the invitation into the rhythm of grace, into the rhythm of the way of life to which we've been included, So as our community gathers and shares life and blesses those in the city, my prayer is that every breath we take would be an invitation. Individually, we are to be making disciples. That's clear. Make disciples of each other, raising up generations of believers, and making disciples of those who are currently far from God. How do we find and invite them and bring them in and make disciples? Collectively, we are encouraging each other in this. Right? And so if, if our community groups, if our missional community, if our biblical community, if that's the, the vehicle that drives us towards that destination, that's how we go and grow and make disciples, then it's important for us to remember, uh, Mike Breen says it best, he says, discipleship is the engine that drives the vehicle. Groups are great, but groups in and of themselves aren't anything other than a collection of us doing what we're going to naturally do. What makes it supernatural is Christ says, make disciples. Discipleship is the engine of the vehicle, and so our collective gathering to grow in Christ is based in the richness of our individual growth as disciples. Our collective sharing the deep life together is based in our individual depth as disciples. Our collective blessing of others in this vivid display of grace for the world to see is based in our individual vibrancy as disciples. We are to be disciples who make disciples in all things. So mission is powered at its base discipleship. Know Jesus and make him known. I love our mission statement. Can I just tell you that? I love this. I have no hand in creating it. I walked in and It was already on the wall, and I thought, I love that. I love the simplicity of it. It is beautiful, and it is clear. It's clear not only to a lifelong believer who goes, oh, that's what this church is about, but it's clear to the skeptic who goes, oh, that's what this church is about. There's nobody who has to ask a second question. What is covenant church about? Know Jesus, make him known. And so if you're a believer, you go, this is a place where I can know Jesus and I will be challenged to make him known. And if you're not a believer and you go, I'm not sure if I want to, guess what? This is a great place where you can know Jesus. And our hope would be that you would know him, follow him, and then join in the journey of making him known with us. But it's perfect. It's brilliant. It's just a distillation of Jesus's instructions, though. Be a disciple and make disciples. Be a disciple and make disciples. Know Jesus, make him known. Go out and train everyone you meet in this way of life. Go out and make disciples who will make disciples. So step one in that is what we're talking about today. Step one in making disciples is invitation. Invitation. Intentional invitation, to be specific. There's a pretty common experience in human life uh, that we uh, are going to use as our illustration today. It's um, potty training. Potty training is fun. It's a pretty highbrow thing to talk about. Look, there are a thousand methods And a thousand books to sell each of those methods about how do you potty train a kid. All of them, I would argue, fit into one of two categories. Every potty training method fits into one of two categories, and they tell you a lot about yourself as a parent. Category one is sugar. Right? You already know. Category two is shame. There's the sugar parents, and then there's the shame parents. Group one sets out a bowl of Skittles. And I'm like, I don't care how much sugar this kid eats, he's going to... The other group just takes the child's pants and says, let's see if they figure it out now. And and both have their merits. But what happens is is everybody has a strategy. What does it look like to potty train my child? He'll just figure it out is not one of those strategies. Right? No kid has ever been accidentally potty trained. Like, Like the husband doesn't go in and accidentally leave a bowl of Skittles in the bathroom with the seat up. And like three days later, a two-year-old waddles in and goes, you know what, guys, that was really smart. I'm done. I did it. Figured it out. Like it's it's never happened. We think about it. We're like, yeah, well, that's true. But then you really think about it. You go, no, it actually takes a ton of intentional effort. You have to have a strategy to help them achieve it. You have to invite them into it. The invitation must be intentional. And this includes all the big displays that parents do. We're throwing away all your diapers, right? Or you go to the store and you pick out big boy pants, big girl underwear. You read books about going on the potty. You talk about how to become a big kid. All the experts will say, though, no matter what method you choose, all experts would say, you have to make clear to a child what is happening. The intentional invitation into that process is always step one. Step two can be bribery or begging or cleanup or whatever that is. But it always starts with invitation. You cannot train someone in this way of life, to bring it to what we're talking about, without invitation. You can't train people in anything without invitation. Nobody runs an accidental marathon. Like, Forrest Gump is a cinematic character. He's not real. No one just starts running, and they're like, 26.2? That was fun. You have to train. No one has an accidental wedding saw her across the room five minutes later man and wife no that's a process no one's accidentally potty trained you intentionally start a running regiment you intentionally say will you marry me i would like to invite you into this relationship you intentionally train your child requires us to see that there's a major difference between these two things so much of life is gray right so much of life is like well this could be this or that it's gray This is one of those things that's just absolutely abundantly clear. There's a really stark line between, like, not married, married. Jog sometimes, run a marathon. Or for us, following Christ, um, you never know. Like, there's a major difference between lost and found. Jesus is not the like button on Facebook that you press and forget. It doesn't work that way. When Jesus says make disciples it requires us to remember the gravity which with he invited us into this thing. Remember that he said take up your cross daily and follow me. He said the world will persecute you. He said this is not going to be always fun or easy, but it's going to be worth it. Jesus invites people into a radically different way of living. That people who now live that way counterculturally, sacrificially strangely never look back and go, you know what, I wish I could go back to that old way. Because there is a dividing line somewhere. This life of sacrifice over self, of grace over greed, not everyone is ready for that. Not everyone gets that. Not everyone has been clued into that. Not everyone has the spirit stir them up and go, you know what, I think I do want to give up this lifestyle for that one. That's okay. Like sometimes kids aren't ready to be potty trained. And what do parents do? You take a few weeks off and you try again. But we try again with our kids, don't we? Because life is better when, when you're not walking around with poop in your pants, if we want to say it. Don't tweet that. <laughs> we are compelled to share the blessing of modern civility and comfort with our children because it is a better way of life. How much greater is the compelling cause of Christ to share Jesus, to share the blessing of our eternal salvation, how much greater is it to say, if I share this Christ with you, you cannot imagine this way of life that we get to lead together. Make Disciples starts with an invitation to follow Jesus, which brings up this word that has become a bad word in so many Christian circles, evangelism. Evangelism is inviting people to Jesus. It gets a bad rap. Evangelism is not beating someone with a Bible so they'll stop doing bad stuff. It is the gracious invitation to share in the blessing of salvation and freedom in Christ. When we make it anything less than an invitation to share in the glorious blessing and freedom of Christ, then we've, we've sullied the whole thing for everyone. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To those weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share. With them in its blessings. I love that in verse 23, that I might share with them in its blessings. Something so compelling that I cannot keep it to myself because if you don't have it, you are not living a complete life. That's the feeling that Paul is expressing. I cannot help but share this with someone else because I cannot imagine going through life without sharing these blessings. And the thing is, We're incredible evangelists in our culture, and we have more evangelistic tools than ever before. Minimum 10 times a month, I have somebody start a sentence with, you would love blank. Oh, you would love this coffee, this book, this movie I saw, this—all the time people are recommending things to me. You open up your Facebook, and what is it? It's one giant evangelistic blast for who knows what. There's a diet. There's a thing. There's my meal that I had. It's just everywhere. And you're like every single one of those things somewhere in that is selling you something. We naturally love to tell people what we love. Paul shares why to evangelize, but also how. Why to evangelize, but also how. Listen to, to what Paul shares us in the how evangelism. Because we get this as, I need to stand on the street corner, get a bullhorn, stand on a milk crate, and see if I can shout at enough people until one will turn and listen to me. He embeds himself, Paul does, in someone's life. First thing he does is he embeds himself in someone's life. He's intentionally embedded. Like a journalist is embedded in war, what do they do? They become indistinguishable from the unit, right? They dress the same, they look the same, but they're there to capture firsthand what's going on with that unit deployed wherever they are go where they go, do what they do, right? This is practical. What does it mean to become embedded with someone else in a cultural sense? Like, how might we win an Islamic brother and sister in using Paul's language? Well, Paul would say, to win a student of the Quran, I become a student of the Quran. Not, I fear it, and so I belittle it, and I insult it, and I hope that somehow that works. Paul says, for the weak, I become weak. For the Gentile, I become Gentile. For the Jew, I become Jew. For the one beholden to the law, I'll go there for a minute. For the one that's not living under anything, I'll go there for a minute. I will embed myself in anyone's life, in anyone's culture. Not adopting the culture, but embedded in it. The journalist is not a soldier. He's a journalist. But he's embedded with a soldier. Paul says, I embedded with their culture so I could show them the surpassing grace and glory of Christ. So you intentionally embed. Second thing you do is you intentionally display. We're called to display Christ in love and grace. And once we become weak to the weak or befriended the fundamentalist or engaged the wayward or whatever that looks like, then we can display Christ in relationship as an active witness. What is a witness? witness is a living person who can give a firsthand account of something. Witness is not, hey, let me tell you this real quick thing about Jesus now that we're friends. You, you can do that. Maybe God prompts you to do that. And that's the way that somebody is going to come to faith. And that's awesome. But a witness is somebody who's seen it, lived it, remembers it, and is there to tell about it if asked. I have a friend in Texas that uh, years ago we had a community group. And he joined our community group. His name is Cody. Uh, he joined our community group, interestingly, as an atheist And a robot engineer. So those are not necessarily connected, but maybe they are. So he joins our group. His wife uh, was a believer, had been for a long time, and he was always really just not interested. And she was okay with him being not interested. Like they had kind of made their peace with the fact that she was a follower of Jesus. He didn't really believe there was a God. And he worked with science and he worked with robots and he was doing his thing. And he said, I've just never seen the evidence. So he joins our group with his wife. And we made a deal with him that we would um, love him where he was. And we told him this. We also said that we would respect his belief or lack of belief um, if he would do the same for us. It was pretty simple. So he got to show up. He got to experience friendship. He got to experience community in a way that he'd never had before. But, but we didn't pressure him. We didn't sell him. We didn't try to convince him. We just did life with him. He would say, guys, I, I, don't, I don't believe in it it's not that I don't want to believe in it. He goes, I actually kind of want to believe in it because it'd be easier to be married to my wife if I believe what she believed. But it doesn't make sense to me. So what did we do? We were embedded with his life. He ends up moving a street away from uh, my wife and I. And so we go from embedded once a week in community group to really like, we're having dinner a couple nights a week and we're sharing a lawnmower and we're kind of like, we're just doing life. Displayed Jesus to him, never pressured, always listened. We were not perfect in the way this worked. Eventually, he's so intrigued by what's happening with these Christians that he is now kind of living life with, not recognizing that we kind of tricked him into being embedded in our lives, that he signs up to go on a mission trip with the church. He says, Oh, the church is going to Haiti? I'm going to go. And what he said was, I need to investigate what this is about. I need to see this in action. I need to see this working. I, I, there's something about this. I, can I go on a mission trip? I'm not even a believer. And luckily, the guy who was running missions at the church was a little bit of a rebel and was like, don't worry about it, just go. See what God wants to do. If they ask you for your testimony, just pass, okay? <laughs> so he goes on this mission trip. He goes to Haiti. He sees all this. He comes back and said, well, that do anything for you? He goes, no, I still want to believe. I just don't. More time goes by. We're in relationship. We've intentionally invited him, right? Hey, be skeptical, ask questions, read this book. Once we get into a real relationship with it, why don't you read this? And he'll go, okay, why don't you read this? And I go, great, let's do that together. We invite him to church. We, we say, come to this thing and then let's talk about it after. See how you feel about it. What we did is over the course of years, we invited him into this way of life. One day he calls me up and we had this uh, Thai restaurant that he likes to go to. It was in a terrible part of town. But it was exactly between our two uh, offices. And he calls me up and he says, hey, can, can I invite you to lunch today? He invites me to lunch. And we sit down at lunch and he goes, I want to invite you to invite me to walk with Jesus. Hmm. I said, I think you kind of already are. He said, yeah, you're right, but, but I, I recognize there's a line that I need to cross somewhere. And so I want to do this. I want to follow Jesus, I believe. And part of me still doesn't. Because there's this part of me that's, that's got some quirks in it. And so, but but I, I do. I've seen it. I've felt it. I do. I believe. And so over Thai food, I said, well, I'm not going to lead you in any prayer. I said, you pray. And this guy who shows up to my house, an atheist, over some wonderful curry, says, God, I want to follow you and I believe in you. It was insane to me to recount this story because you, you start thinking about all of the hours and the days and the praying for him and the hoping for him and the talking to his wife and the, and the just going, guys, stop pressuring. Don't pressure it. And we were always beating each other back. These, these Christians going, stop it, leave him. Just let him experience it. But we were intentionally embedded in his life. We were intentionally displaying Christ to him every day. We were intentionally inviting him to faith. And when God moved, he responded. We have these fears, though, when we talk about evangelism, sharing, sharing Christ with people, we have all these fears that kind of well up within us. The first one I always hear is, I'm afraid I don't know enough. I call this the second question fear. Everybody's pretty confident if you had to, to, to share, like, that you're a believer, but we're always terrified of the second question, which is like, well, then tell me about uh, the Trinity. And you're like, uh-oh. I don't really have that one down yet. Um, it's kind of complicated right? And we walk through that. We're terrified of the second question. I, I don't mind sharing. It's just, can I share and then never have to answer anything? What we realize is the further we walk with Jesus, the more we realize we don't know. Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ crucified and resurrected? Then you know enough to start a conversation. So much of evangelism actually becomes a learning journey with someone together, you don't need to have a deeply developed theology of the end times to display grace and invite others on the journey. Hey, how's this all going to end? I don't know. Do you want to look into it together? Because there's a lot of smart people that haven't figured it out yet, and we got some theories and some ideas, but this smart guy disagrees with that smart guy, so let me not be arrogant. Let me just say, I don't know. But we can read about it. We can look into it. Here's what I do know, is that Jesus is pretty heavily involved in the story. Other people say, why should I evangelize if God is sovereign, right? I would say you should read J.I. Packer's book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. That will answer all your questions much better than I would. But I would offer to you that God's sovereignty is our confidence, not our excuse. For many people use God's sovereignty as an excuse. Well, God's going to get it figured out anyway. People are predestined or there's some foreknowledge or God's, God's worked it out. God knows the end of time already. He's already got it figured out. I'm just here to enjoy it. God's sovereignty is our confidence in evangelism, not our excuse not to. So we would take profound joy from the idea that God, in his sovereignty, wants to use us as vessels to reach someone else. That should blow our minds when we think about it, that the God of the universe is so in love with us that he allows us, his children, to be the vessels, to be the ones used to help him reach others and call them home. God's sovereignty makes us bold. There's no fear when God is in control, is there? We can be bold and we can be hopeful because there's no heart too hard for grace. God's sovereignty makes us patient because he saves people in his time. We're responsible to people, but not for them. I'm responsible to people, but never for them. John 4 says, one reaps what another sows. Right? I can practice simple obedience because I know that God is perfect in his timing and his salvation. And so if I love somebody and display Christ to them and I embed in their lives and I work with them and I challenge them and I invite them and they say no to me, If I believe in a sovereign God, I know that if this person is going to find God, God's got that figured out, and maybe I'm sowing the seed that someone else is going to come and harvest later. God's sovereignty makes us patient. God's sovereignty makes us prayerful. Prayer is not an attempt to force God's hand, but a humble acknowledgement of helplessness. This is every day for us. Prayer is not an attempt to force God's hand. God, here's my list of all the things I need and the things I want. Here's the stuff you need to fix. Here's my kind of wish list for Christmas. Amen. Prayer is a humble acknowledgement of our helplessness. God, you save. God, you provide. God, you restore. You reconcile. Use me. God saves. God instructs us to ask and seek and knock. James 4 2 says, You have not because you ask not. How many of us are asking actively for someone we love who's far from Christ to come to faith? We have to become intentional about making disciples, intentionally embed ourselves, intentionally display, intentionally invite into this way of life. And this starts with prayer, asking a sovereign God to let us be part of helping others know Christ, and then to be, start praying for our chance to be part of the lost becoming found. What we recognize when we think about it, when we read the scripture, when we look at God's word, we recognize that we are wholly dependent on God to do the saving. That I cannot save someone. Prayer reminds us of that, it roots us in our faith, and it assures us that when someone does come to faith, we recognize that God is responsible and God is the object of praise. And so when Cody, across Thai food, says, hey, I think I want you to invite me to to follow Jesus, I don't get to go... We did a pretty good job reeling him in, didn't we? I get to say, how incredible is God that he would use our lives, that he would use our broken and our flawed and our still in progress, still in formation lives to display eternal glory to our friend, that he would draw our friend into this rhythm of life, that he, God, would welcome our friend into this way of life and that he would let us be part of it. He would let me be the one to sit across from him. So I urge us as a community to become more intentional, to become embedded in people's lives for the purpose of displaying Christ and inviting people to faith. And so when you came in today, you found a card on your seat. Do you have your card? Show me these cards. These are beautiful cards. Greg designed these. Whatever Greg designs turns to gold. Today we're going to be looking at the side that has these three little profile people on the one side. The the arrows, that's next week. We're going to talk about what the arrows are next week. This week we're talking about these three little people. This card is intended to be a tool for you. And so my hope is that today, now or this afternoon or tonight before you go to bed, as you're thinking about this, that you would be able to find three names to put on this card. Three names of people that you are praying for that you might have the chance to share in the blessings of the gospel with them, as Paul said. Who do you know that you would love nothing more than to wake up and hear tomorrow that they've decided to join this way of life, that they've decided to walk away from what they're doing and to walk into the path of grace? Where would that just liven your spirit? Those are the people that go on this card. The Three names of people who you want to be part of then intentionally inviting into that space. And the idea is you would write that down. And then every day we might pray as a community that I would have the opportunity on some level, at some point, in some way, God, you show me, to impact them. Whether it's in word or deed, whether it is in simply praying for them daily and waiting for them to wake up. But it would be our daily intentional reminder that there are people there that God has designed for us. He has set them aside, and he's given us a chance to have an impact on their lives, to be the people that might display his grace and his glory. Because we all have them. They're in here somewhere. But life is busy, and life is distracted, and so we lose it. And if we're not careful, we can go our whole lives and forget that part of the reason we've been given these whole lives is to be ambassadors for Christ. And so like Paul, we long to share in the blessings of God's grace. We long to share in the beauty of Christ's resurrection. We long to share that with others. So who are the people that you would say, God, give me a chance. Give me a moment. Give me a word. Give me a, give me, give me a chance. And then the challenge is every single day that this would become part of how you pray. So when you pick up this card, and I've had one of these like this before. The top of my card for years was Cody. Every day, God, give me a chance. Give me a chance to love him today. Give me a chance to display you today. Give me a chance. Open a conversational door I didn't even know was there. God, give me some insight, some wisdom. Give me something that I might reach my friend. And then God does it. So I come to my card and I can cross off Cody and I can write another name. I can give Cody a card and go, hey, who do you want to share this with? The idea is we would take something like this and we would put it somewhere we would see it daily. It fits in your wallet, sure. It'll fit on your fridge and it'll be hidden by coupons in a week or so. Your dashboard, maybe your keyboard at work, wherever you would see it daily. Daily. It becomes the new bookmark in your devotional, becomes the bookmark in your Bible. What is it, where is it that you will see it every day? Because God in his grace sent Jesus to save us and set us free. And so my challenge for us as a community, as we face outward, as we look outward, as we say, how do we share the blessings that God has given us? God, how do we lift up this cup of salvation for all to drink from? Our prayer becomes, how do we become ambassadors for that in the lives of others? Intentionally, daily, seeking that. In a minute, we're going to take communion, which is our family way of intentionally remembering that God is good to us, that God sent Christ to be the ultimate sacrifice to save us from our sin and from death, and when Christ was risen, that life eternal was established and that we are included in that as his followers, as believers. And so when we take the bread, we remember that he gave his body for us. When we dip it in the cup, we remember that his blood was spilled so that we might be set free. So maybe today, as you remember, maybe today's remembrance is also a nudge from God that who also needs to join in this meal with us? Who also needs the grace that we know and love? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, our salvation. We thank you for sending Jesus before we ever knew we needed him. We thank you for drawing us to yourself. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. And Father, I would confess that there are too many days that I think of my own salvation and never consider those around me who lack it. Father, I pray that we would be a community that is uh, so overwhelmed with your goodness and so overwhelmed with your blessing and so overwhelmed with your grace that we would not be able to help but share it. So I pray you would inspire us. You would inspire those three blanks on that card not to be a burden, not to be um, some challenge that that we feel is a religious box we need to check, but God, I pray that we would see the names that we write in those lines for what they are. I pray that we would see ourselves in them, that somebody somewhere sacrificed to help bring us to you, that we might be that for others. Father, I pray that we would see those names. We'd see them as your children who you long to set free. God, use us in mighty ways in this city. Use us to share your grace. Use us to display your gospel. God, stir up within us a passion that is so incredible so as to be uncontainable. Father, we love you. We thank you for Christ. Help us display him. We pray in his name. Amen.